This is HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Most of it today looked so much better. You know, just timing, throwing the ball in the right spot, catchable footballs based on the, you know, the depth of the route, all those parts, it looked a lot better, which it should. Like you said, we do have a big class, but, you know, we've managed to make it feel like a pretty small class. You know, I mean, we, you know, we all have great chemistry from offense, defense side, some great personalities in our group too. Uh, you know, just keep uh, keep things light when it needs to be. You know, we just enjoy, we just enjoy being around around each other, enjoy being up here, enjoy being around our coaches. You know, there's a, there's a, I, I definitely sense a, a genuine love and passion for the game as far as amongst our group. And welcome to another edition of the Husker Online Show. This is our one-year anniversary, guys. We've done 52 straight weeks of the Husker Online radio show. It's been wow. very fun to do, very popular uh, in, in just a year. And thanks again to our affiliates, 93.7 The Ticket and Lincoln, and then the ESPN radio stations in Kearney and Grand Island who pick up our show uh, both on Fridays afternoons in the, in the Tri-Cities out there and then on Saturday mornings. But uh, spring football in full force, guys. Nebraska now uh, with one week in the books as Robin Washhead is on assignment. He's not with us today. He's covering Big Ten basketball with Dan Hoppins here and Nate Klaus. Um, and, you know, I'll start with you, Dan. When, when you look at this team week one of spring ball, what were maybe what was maybe your biggest takeaway or what were you looking for from this team and, 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 and as far as what stood out? Well, I think coming in, we knew that this was going to be a pretty good receiving core um, just with all the guys I had coming back and all the talent. But the number one thing that stood out from that first practice we got to watch was this has a chance to be a really, really good receiving group. Like best in the Big Ten. I don't want to be hyperbolic, but maybe one of the best in the country. They were making some plays on Saturday that were just absolutely fantastic. You know, Brandon Riley going up over defensive back. Stanley Morgan, we've seen the kinds of crazy catches he can make. Jordan Westerkamp, Alonzo Moore. And this is all without DeMorne Pearsonell even, you know, being able to contribute yet. So that was my number one takeaway. This receiving group could be really, really good. And we'll talk more about that in our, our next segment uh, on the offense. But, Nate Klaus, uh, what, what was maybe your biggest takeaway? Well, I think my biggest takeaway is the level of comfort that now exists between the coaches and the players, the players and the coaches. I mean, every single person that, that we've spoken with this uh, so far this spring has talked about, you know, how much um, – you know, just how comfortable they are with the system, with, with the coaching staff. You know, the coaching staff is now comfortable with the personnel that they're working with, and, and they're building off of what they had last year instead of starting from square one. And, and I think that is going to go a long way uh, as we continue to go through the spring and, of course, head into season two under Mike Riley. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show as Nebraska makes their way here. Uh, through the first week of spring practice, the Huskers uh, practice Saturday, Tuesday, Thursday. Then they come back Saturday again, and then Tuesday, Thursday before going on spring break. So there's a little bit more uh, rest time, one less practice per week. It extends things a whole other week, which gives them more meeting time. And, you know, for me, what I looked at, guys, was I felt like this that first practice of spring, it just felt like an extension of the bowl game. It was like the UCLA game was on Saturday and they were back out there Monday. And it just was like such a smooth transition. And that's kind of how you would expect it to be. It was that way in Callahan's second spring. It was that way in Polini's second spring. Uh, there's just that that feeling out period's over. It's so true, Sean. It, it really is. And it's, it's amazing. Like we talk about these bowl games and in the grand scheme of things, it feels like they don't really matter all that much. 
But when you win a bowl game, and especially if you win a bowl game in the manner that Nebraska At a did, place like Nebraska where people talk about football every day of the week. Exactly. It just kind of – it has this uplifting feeling throughout the entire offseason. You can kind of keep going back to that, and it just permeates throughout everything. So I agree with you completely. I think if Nebraska would have lost that Foster Farms Bowl, we would – for right or wrong, we would feel so much different about this team right now. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, the all the questioning and, and everything kind of can bog you bog you down a little bit. I think these guys are are free and, and they're confident right now, and and, um, and they're ready to get go to work. The energy level was great. I think uh, a lot of guys have talked about you know the level of competition that took place and winter conditioning coming off of you know the momentum from the bowl game, and that's carried right on into the spring. And and I, I just think that the confidence that a lot of guys have is something that has been really noticeable. You know, guys, Tommy Armstrong, too, I was impressed with what he showed just the first couple of days. I mean, just his comfort level, and you can tell he's growing up, he's engaged. I mean, his fiance has been at all the practices, so mm-hmm. he's going to be a married man. Ross Azuras also gets married here this summer as well. Um, so you can sense that I think Tommy has uh, matured a lot, and, and I, I thought, you know, just the way he throws on the run and his arm talent is so Strong. He's got such a strong arm. If he can just get the mental side, the sky's the limit on what he could do this year. I, I agree completely. And, uh, you know, everybody wanted to watch Patrick O'Brien on Saturday and see what he looked like. And he, and he was fine. He was okay. He's a true freshman. He's going to make some mistakes. But Tommy was clearly the best quarterback on the field. And like you said, Sean, if he can just avoid those mental mistakes and kind of get locked in there, he's talented enough to, to be a very productive quarterback. It's the the decision making I mm-hmm. think is is you know what has always plagued Tommy. It's not you know a question of overall talent. He has that. It's the decision making that has kind of hurt him in the past. And, and again, you know he's he's looked extremely confident. It's only been one practice that we've been able to see though, and I'm excited to see how you know that position as a whole kind of continues to develop as, as the spring goes along. Not just with Tommy Armstrong, but you know that you know as guys kind of jockey. For for position for that number two spot Nate in your time has there been a guy that you can remember that just looking at arm not total results but has had that kind of arm strength that Tommy Armstrong can display with those I mean those rollout throws where he's sprinting as hard as he can and still rifling a bullet and obviously 50 yards down the field sometimes I mean he, he can really do some things we haven't seen with the arm at Nebraska maybe ever yeah, I don't. I can't recall a guy right off the top of my head that that has the arm strength that Tommy Armstrong. Had. I mean, he can spin the ball, and it doesn't matter if he's you know just standing there in the pocket or if he's out on the run. I think when he's outside of the pocket on the move and and throws some of those strikes, I think that's the most impressive thing. But you know, I, off the top of my head, I can't think of a guy who not Zach Lee. Yeah, not Zach Lee. Um, <laughs> Zach Lee did have a strong arm. But he did. He, he got messed up in that that game early in his junior year right? yeah he did have a strong arm um you know I, I but I don't know if anyone quite has the zip that that Tommy Armstrong you know shows on on some of his throws during that Iowa game there was an incomplete pass where he was going across his body and he threw it like 50 yards down the field on a rope on the run in like 20 degree weather uh, yeah I don't think anyone questions Tommy's physical attributes it's the mental side it's all the mental side it's you know, you go back to that Rutgers game. I think it was his second interception. He kind of just threw it. And, again, this is what you were talking about, Sean. He threw it like 60 yards downfield, 
but there was no receiver in the vicinity, yeah. and it was picked off. He, it was almost like the safety was fielding a punt. Oh, it the was, Wisconsin game in Madison that year, he did the same thing, like first play of the second yes, half. Yes, yes, exactly. And those are the type of plays that you can't have this year, and those are the types of things he didn't do in the bowl game. So if he can continue with that efficiency – then uh, this offense can go to another level. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show as we wrap up here this opening segment of the show. Uh, one position move of note at quarterback, actually. Zach Darlington uh, has moved from quarterback. He was going to basically be the fifth guy in the spring and potentially the sixth guy when Tanner Lee got here in the fall. Has moved a wide receiver, and uh, I think this move makes sense. Zach has – I mean, I know Zach's a guy that wants to be here. He's a team first player. Um, he's fully clear. That's something I think people that they always talk about his health issues. I've talked to Zach's family about this in depth. He is 100% cleared by doctors and he wouldn't be out there if he wasn't. And I think this receiver move, maybe not for this year, but maybe down the road, uh, the, his final two years at Nebraska, he could get a chance to contribute there. And at quarterback, that was kind of a long shot. Yeah, I think it was a long shot. Mentally, he was a very good quarterback, I think. But he, um, you know, when you compare his talents to some of the other talents at the at that position, he was going to be kind of on the outside looking in. So this move makes all the sense in the world to me. He's an athletic kid. He's a he's a son of a coach, so he understands the game, not just you know being the quarterback, but he understands the game everywhere. Um, and pound for pound, probably you know one of the strongest players on the he's entire team. He's put together, team. man. Yeah, he's put mm-hmm. together extremely well. And like you said, I'm not sure if this will make an impact uh, this season, but definitely I could see him having a role in the offense uh, going forward. And this is our yearly reminder not to put like we talk about spring practice and it's exciting, but don't put too much stock into what we're seeing because remember Zach Darlington was no pun intended the darling. At quarterback last spring, we were AJ, all talking about AJ this guy. Bush was the first week or two as well. Exactly. So we have to just remember that. Take this all with it. Yeah, pump, pump the, the brakes and just remember that this is spring ball. We've got a long way till the season. All right, you're listening to the Husker Online Show. When we come back here on the program. We'll talk more offense. That's next. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. That is a group that I've been excited about, kind of expected that they would open up this thing like that and expect them to really play a, a big role in our in our success. Um, one thing I can say, we, we, we stick together no matter what. No matter, I mean, we help each other out. Like, we'll coach each other up. We, sometimes we don't even need Coach Williams to coach us up sometimes. We, he didn't put it into us so much to where we'll share with the younger guys or we'll share with, like, the older guys too. Like, I mean, we, we help each other out. And back here on the Husker Online Show, Sean Callahan, Dan Hoppen, and Nate Klaus as we continue our spring football talk. Nebraska is through one week, and we already touched a little bit on this, but maybe the group that was the most impressive at all positions, and not really a surprise, were the wide receivers. And you heard Mike Riley talk about them there, and that was Alonzo Moore as well. Mike Riley referred to those receivers as the heart and the soul of this football team. And you look at guys like Jordan Westerkamp, Brandon Riley, uh, Stanley Morgan Jr., Alonzo Moore. Um, you, you go on and on to Mornay Pearsonell. Um, and then you, even some of the new guys like Darian Grimm showed some flashes for his first couple practices. But it's a special group, Dan. And uh, I, I know that's something that we're working on to maybe figure out if this is potentially on paper as far as numbers go, uh, the best group of receivers Nebraska's ever returned in a season. I, I would be very hard-pressed 
to think of another group that's come back with you know this type of production it's gonna be tough for Nebraska I think to just feed all the mouths in this offense because there are so many good receivers on this team and I mean they were making plays on Saturday that were just so physically impressive going up and jumping over defensive backs or you know Jordan Westerkamp he just does not get enough credit for being such a good athlete his feet are so quick it's tough to um, defend him coming out of cuts uh, this group, they've got a chance to be really good. And, and you can see some of the inexperience at safety right now because Nebraska's missing a lot of their guys mm-hmm. at safety. And if those safeties um, use bad technique or, or get caught looking, Westerkamp was blowing right by them. I mean, there were a couple times where it was just like off to the races. And Keith Williams let, lets them hear about it. <laughs> well, in, any one of those wide receivers will, will eat you alive if you make a mistake. Those guys are technicians. Keith Williams is a technician as a coach. And if you if you screw up, you're gonna be you're gonna be taken full advantage of, and you're gonna be made out to look like a, a poor player. So, um, you know, what's what's interesting about this whole position to me is you've got um, you know maybe a coaching staff that wants to be able to run the ball a little bit more effectively, but yet your 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 biggest strength on the team is by far and away your wide receiving core. So uh, it's gonna be interesting to me to see how how you utilize all these guys, but yet still try to uh, stay balanced and run the ball, you know, more effectively. Yeah, because ideally you, you would think you could get almost 200 yards a game or more from those receivers uh, just based on what Armstrong's going to do. I mean, 250. What did Armstrong average per game last year, Dan? Was it a – I mean, it was, it was upwards of 250 per game. Yeah, yeah, it was in that neighborhood. And we haven't even talked about Stephen Carter. He's going to have yeah, exactly. a huge role in the offense too. And he, might, he might be, as far as draft prospects, as good as any on this offense. I mean, mm-hmm. it's hard to – there's so many guys that are on that bubble for next year's draft. Um, Westercamp, Brandon Riley. Uh, you know, there's there's a lot of these seniors, Tommy Armstrong even. You don't – I mean, uh, who who are – I mean, there really isn't a, a lead horse draft candidate on this team, maybe other than Sam Fultz, a punter. Yeah, and it, w- it was really interesting. I'm, I'm going to be fascinated to see. I think Jordan Westercamp's an NFL player without question, but – uh, there was a thread on our board this week about, you know, Brandon Riley. Is he an NFL player? I think he's going to have a shot. He kind of has that Jared Aberderis from Wisconsin type of field. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. who, that's who he's always reminded me but of. But he's faster, he's isn't faster, he? faster, yeah. A little fa- I mean, Aberderis, like, pretty much helped his team win a state track meet in high school. I mean, he, he okay. was very similar. Yeah. Uh, but Riley's gained 30 pounds, and, yeah, he's one of the fastest guys. They didn't run 40, so, this year in the performance index testing. So, we don't know – who is the fastest 40 guy right now. But He'd be right up there. He, he, he was faster than Abdullah and Bell when they did run 40s uh, two years ago. So. <laughs> Those are some pretty quick guys. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. Let, let's talk more, more um, about the quarterback. So we, we've already talked about Armstrong. We've already talked uh, about Darlington's move. But what about Patrick O'Brien? I mean, this is somebody I know from my perspective I was very excited to see. And I, I think, Nate, you, you know, you've got the most experience seeing Patrick and dealing with him and – I think what impressed me the most, Nate, about it was for him in his first practice, I mean, he just walked out there like he's been practicing with Nebraska for years. Yeah, he didn't really skip a beat. I mean, he looked extremely comfortable and confident out there. And he has a presence about himself. He's got a little bit of a swagger to him. Um, and he's very he's very sharp and very polished. I mean, just the the uh, you know kind of the fundamental drill work that they were doing to start practice off with. I mean, he looked as good as as anybody on the roster going through some of those drills, and uh, it looked sharp and, 
and you know doing um, you know doing his play action handoffs. And, I mean, whatever it was, I thought Patrick O'Brien looked very sharp. Uh, we know that he has great size and and has a strong arm and everything, but um, I mean, I was just overall impressed with the fact that it didn't look like he was a kid who should be gearing up to go to his senior prom. He, he looked very comfortable out there. Yeah, I think that was my number one takeaway too, Nate. More than anything, he showed physically was just the presence that he had. He he feels like he belongs and he's not scared or worried or anything. He's a pretty confident guy. I think the question, and we'll be talking about this really all the way into late August, will he redshirt or not? And I mean, the Fresno State and the Wyoming games on the schedule are potentially two of the only games you could get him in early. You don't know after that. You have Oregon and then nine conference games. Um, so that will be a debate. Um, is Riker Fife solid enough to be the number two, or do you need to get this guy ready to be the number two? And they're going to let him compete to be that guy, but that will be, to me, the question we deal with all the way into training camp. There's no question. that that That's what you're going to be looking for is if Patrick O'Brien can push for that number two spot. Um, and and to me, I think that you have to you or you you want to hope that that he pushes for that spot and and can come in and you know you can try to get him some experience because after next year you know if you after you lose Tommy Armstrong and Riker Fife you have nobody on the roster that has any type of experience you've got well, Tanner Lee will you've be got coming Tanner in Lee that. coming in um, but I don't know I, I to me I, I just feel like the ideal scenario would be for Patrick O'Brien to rise through the ranks and for you to be able to get him some type of experience. That way you have a, a battle between Tanner Lee and O'Brien um, next year. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. Let's move it on on offense. You know, running back is another question just to kind of get that established one. You know, Wilbon, I thought, looked good at times. Uh, we know Newbie is going to be in the mix somewhere. Uh, but the guy that I think impressed me the most day one just eyeball test, just movement was Divino Zigbo. Uh, he came on late for Nebraska uh, in the bowl game and had some flashes at Illinois, uh, but I think he's going to make a huge jump in his offense. Agree completely, Sean. Um, again, you know, we're months away from the season starting, but if I had to put some money down right now, I'd say he'd be Nebraska's number one back. He just looks so fluid out there. He looks big and strong and put together. He's not going to be the fastest guy. But I think he's quick. He's a much more athletic Amani Cross. That's a very good yeah. way of putting it. That is, yeah. He's a, I mean, he, he can move a he's heck of a lot better than Amani Cross. He's more nimble. He's got quicker feet than Amani. He can catch the ball. He can catch the ball. Um, I mean, I was impressed with his. I mean, with the way he looks, he, he is a hoss. His lower body is massive. He, he looks like Lindell White from yeah. the old USC team. I mean, he's got, but not fat. L- yeah, L- yeah. Lindell got a little big at times, <laughs> yeah, but not fat. Lindell, Lindell yeah. liked to drink tequila, and that was the cause of his weight gain in the NFL. He said, and when when he lost all the weight, he said he cut out the tequila from his diet. Well, I don't think Divino Zigbo. Yeah, we don't have to worry about that. Yeah. But um, yeah, impressed with with him and the way that he's looked, and um, you know, I think that. Nebraska struggled at times to, to really have a downhill presence in the run game last year. And, and when they did get it going, it, it worked really well with whether it be Andy Janovich or at times Amani gave them that. And, and uh, I think that Divine could certainly bring that to the table this year. And what I love about Divine is his vision. That might be, you know, the number one knock against Terrell Newby is that he doesn't make reads quickly enough. That's not a problem with Divine. He can make that quick read and cut and go. 
which newbie doesn't really do. I think that's the biggest thing that separates. Yeah, he knows things. how to stretch a dollar bill. I mean, he can really yep. he can really give you more than what's there. Where I think that is the knock, as you mentioned with newbie, he does not give you much more than what you give him. And we'll talk more offensive line, but it's kind of hard to talk more offensive line in week one without pads on and. Uh, that will be something I think we can spend more time on uh, down the road here this spring. But we're going to shift over to defensive talk. That's next. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. This is HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Well, I think it I think it benefits everybody in the fact that uh, uh, we can detail up, you know, everybody's everybody's assignment. And now you've got two people uh, watching four uh, when they're out on the field. It just uh, enhances it enhances a lot of that stuff as well. I just looked at this thing and I thought that we have had it like this before, and I thought we were missing the boat with more opportunity to break down the coaching. There's such diverse teaching between what you teach corner skills and how you teach safeties. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show as we continue our show here uh, really breaking down the first week of spring practice and what we saw in one of the bigger storylines that came out from the defensive side of the ball. And it was kind of swept under the rug. It wasn't something that was publicized in a press release, but Nebraska's defensive coordinator, Mark Banker, who did not coach a position last year, will now coach Nebraska's safeties as well as being the defensive coordinator. And Brian Stewart won't take on all of those positions anymore. He will just coach the corners. And I think this makes a lot of sense to me for several reasons you, you look at how defenses have evolved it's a lot of nickel and, and even dime so five to maybe six of your 11 guys on the field couldn't could be defensive backs that is a lot for one guy to manage and I think with uh, Brian Stewart only handling the corners and then giving Mark Banker the safeties I think that breaks things up and and, and I think could really help this defense because now the safeties have their own meeting room they have their own setup and I think Dan this will be something hopefully that will help the development long term Mm-hmm. And I mean, you know, you look at cornerbacks and safeties, obviously you want those guys to have uh, a good rapport and a good communication. So having meetings together is good. But at the same time, they also have very different responsibilities in terms of what they're asked to do on the field. So maybe having more position specific meetings is going to help those groups. And, you know, we saw the secondary really struggle last year. So making some adjustments on uh, at that position probably isn't a bad idea. Well, and a few of the corners have even mentioned how it's nice to be able to to have instant feedback every single play, uh, you know, every rep in, in practice from Brian Stewart now. Um, whereas in the past, he was, you know, focusing in on safeties some plays, focusing on corners some plays, and and really needing to spread out his uh, his coaching or or his feedback after after each rep. So, um, you know, and and I think that. Uh, the ability for some of these younger guys to, to kind of grow up, um, you know, at, at those two positions is going to be, you know, critical to uh, having more focus from Banker or from Stewart. And there's a lot of young talent there. I mean, when you think about what's coming in, Nate, there's just so many guys that are going to need that coaching, need that individual teaching. And you don't want to have Lamar Jackson and Markel Desmuke, you know, kind of get lost in the shuffle in a meeting room when you have one coach managing Maybe well, I mean, what would a typical defensive backs meeting room be when you count everybody? You're, well, I mean, when you count everybody, you're probably talking 15 guys. Or, yeah, yeah. Or, scholarship or wise, here's I mean, the here's the numbers. There, there's 15 scholarship defensive backs, yeah. so you divide that in half. 
Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, that's that's going to be uh, nice for those younger guys coming in. And and even look at the spring, you know, at, at safety in particular, you've got some young faces there, some guys that have really, you know, no experience outside of Nate Gary. I mean, they're really thin there. And, and um, you know, a guy like Avery Anderson is, is kind of moved from corner to safety is needing a little bit of extra attention, I think, um, to get more comfortable in this in, in that role, and, and having that extra attention is nice. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show as we talk defensive storylines from the first week of spring practice, and uh, another one was the addition of John Perella, and I think for us, seeing him in action, that was very important just to kind of get a feel for what he's like. Definitely a 180 from Hank Hughes, and I, I think that's that's kind of what you go for in a hire. When, when you fire someone that doesn't work, you tend to go the opposite direction, so instead of kind of having a laid-back East Coast guy like Hank, uh, you go to almost kind of a coach that's more like Rick Kaczynski. Uh, I would say, you know, John Perella, just that intense, high motor teaching, high energy, high energy guy, um, you know, in your face. And that's kind of what I envision a defensive line coach being like. I mean, this is a very, very intense in the trenches position. Yeah, I like to see, you know, um, on Saturday, you know, a- after a play when Nebraska was, they kind of went through their scrimmage period. You know, John Pearl would actually run out on the field and, and kind of get with the defensive lineman and kind of go through some technical things with them between plays. You never saw that from Hank Hughes. <laughs> he might, you know, grumble something from the sidelines, but he would never be out there. Uh, I think uh, Carlos Davis earlier this week said that John Pearl just like chugs Red Bulls in meetings and stuff, which is exactly what I would envision him doing. He's a high energy guy, intense. Uh, is very hands-on uh, after each rep, it seems, but but not a screamer and a, and a yeller either, uh, which I think is important because I think uh, if you're if you are a screamer and a, and a yeller all the time, you can lose some of your effectiveness as a coach. But um, you know, there's no question these guys res- already have a, a deep respect for John Perella and and are eager to learn under him. You know, and a guy for a guy like Perella, to me, this is more than a job for him. It's it's a destination. Mm-hmm. It's a passion. He really wants to be here. It means a lot to him. Where I don't know if you could have said that about Hank Hughes. I think it was just a job to a guy like Coach Hughes. And um, I, I think it's important to have people that, that have that extra passion towards this place. And uh, hopefully Mike Riley will really begin to appreciate what that means by having someone like that on the staff. Well, I don't think you can say that about too many position coaches. I mean, you know, by and large, across the entire landscape of, of college football, a position job is is kind of a stepping stone for most guys to to either go to a, a bigger school or or to eventually become a coordinator and maybe even eventually a head coach. But this is a destination job for John Perella. I mean, I mean, he's. Uh, played in the NFL for 12 years. It's not like he's looking for a bigger paycheck or to coach at a bigger school or a better school. This is, you know, his alma mater, and and he loves Nebraska, bleeds red. And let, let's be honest, today, you, you deal with a lot of these guys from the 90s as well. But having a player or a presence from the 90s, mm-hmm. it kind of calms the waters with the always very vocal talk radio 1990s former Husker players having kind of one of their own now a part of this deal. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it gives. I think it, it kind of brings back, um, you know, a little bit of. A, a mentality where where a lot of a lot of people, a lot of former players, a lot of fans are comfortable um, because they know that that was part of a winning era, and that's what everyone wants to get back.
back to. So having a voice or having having a personality or a coach um, from that era back in the program, I think, is good for everybody. Well, and I think for the players, too. You mentioned, Sean, this is a guy with 12 or 13 years of NFL experience. That brings some real cachet into the meeting room right away. The players are going to listen. They're like, okay, this dude, he knows what he's talking about. He He's done it. He's been there. He's lived it. Um, yeah, let's go back to Mike Riley when he got hired. He goes, my number one thing for position coaches are you need to be an expert at your position. And there you go. He's Was an Hank expert. Hughes, may, I mean, he might have been an expert, but I, I would, you know, I look at Trent Bray, expert at linebacker. Mm-hmm. I look at John Perella, expert defensive lineman. Brian Stewart, I mean, I look at him as an expert defensive back teacher. Um, so I do think that fits more what Mike Riley wanted when he talked about hiring assistant coaches. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. Let's, let's give a quick brief talk on linebackers here we we didn't really touch on those guys but um it's a deep group it's an impressive group I think for me the x factor will be Rose Ivy and Banderas can those two guys give Nebraska the hundred plus tackle seasons that we've been wanting to see from them for a long time Mm -hmm. and it's for different reasons with Josh Banderas has just kind of been consistency and figuring out it looked like he got a little bit better towards the end of last year but he hasn't really lived up to I think that potential that so many expected from him when he first came Army in. All-American linebacker yeah. and and with Rose Ivy it's just staying healthy I mean when he's been healthy he's racked up the statistics and been a very good player but the past two seasons he really hasn't been able to stay on the field uh, I think health is the key for both these guys because you look at Josh Banderas last year he struggled with that with that groin injury for a large part of the season and just you know, you felt like he never really got um, in in a rhythm or in in a flow of things. And um, if he's able to stay healthy this year, along with Michael Rose Ivy, you know, the the sky's the limit for this linebacking core. And, and what a change that it is! You know, in just one year, this coaching staff has done you know f- completely flipped that group. When when they were hired, they had more scholarship quarterbacks on the roster than they did linebackers. And that, I mean, that's incredible. And now, what you've got eleven scholarship linebackers, or right around eleven. 11 guys at least on your depth chart that that you you halfway feel comfortable with and um, you know, you have a guy like Chris Weber who who is you know pushing for some playing time, and Dedrick Young, who as a true freshman, I think really turned some heads and impressed a lot of people. So, um, I mean, this is an exciting group, and I think this is maybe a group that will that will help the overall defense because you talk about you know how the secondary played last year and how how low they were ranked. Well, I think there's three levels to to each defense, and you need all three levels kind of clicking. And um, coaches have kind of said that that maybe the linebacking core um you know was part of the problem last year too all right when we come back uh, we're going to shift over to baseball nebraska though will practice here saturday tuesday thursday so next week's podcast we'll have our final wrap up before the huskers go on their spring break uh, but we'll talk some baseball next uh, nebraska got two much needed uh, momentum wins against northern colorado now they have a, a big four game weekend series with loyola marymount we'll get dan hoppins take on that next you're listening to the husker online show You're listening to HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And welcome back to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan and, and Dan Hoppen as now we shift over to talk a little Husker baseball as uh, Nebraska was able to get one win out at Long Beach State uh, 
taking the Friday night game from the number 20th ranked team in the country, the Dirtbags, uh, but they lost one nothing in 13. Heartbreaking loss on Saturday, then 3-1 to in the second game of a doubleheader. Um, three and six over their first nine. Then they come back and they win two big home games over Northern Colorado, uh, outscoring them 15 to one over the course of two games. They've improved their record two five and six. Uh, a big four game series now this weekend uh, against Loyola Marymount, a quality team. And we bring in Dan Hop and Dan. Uh, what, what's kind of your big takeaway over these first 11 games? Well, I think, you know, definitely coming into this last weekend, it was that the starting pitching needed to improve. Um, and I think you saw that a little bit. I think Nebraska still wants the starters to go deeper into games, but you certainly couldn't blame um, Nebraska's pitching for what happened this past weekend against uh, against the Dirtbags. So that that's kind of the key. If those starters can keep pitching like that, I think that that's going to be huge because I think this bullpen is pretty darn good. I think the offense is pretty good too. And, you know, we talked early in the year, Dan, that we didn't think this schedule was maybe that challenging, but you look at it now and – uh, of their first nine, eight of the first nine are ranked opponents. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I College of Charleston was 32nd. But you could make a case that their first nine games were all against regional caliber teams, teams that will play in the NCAA tournament. And Nebraska was right there. They probably could have beat Arizona, should have beat Arizona. They beat a very good Tulane team. Um, they got pounded by San Diego, as we know. Uh, they took a Friday night game against College of Charleston against their ace pitcher. They take a Friday night game against Long Beach State's ace. So I think there's some building blocks. And by no means, I'm not one of those guys on Red Sea Scrolls that's hitting the panic button because they drop a <laughs> fire first, stat after five games. Because they drop a freaking February series. Yeah. It's, um, you know, obviously, you know, no one likes to lose. And when the record is three and six after the first three weekends, I understand that people aren't happy, but the sky isn't falling for this team or this program. Um, like you said, this has been a more challenging schedule, you know, than you would think to start the year. Yeah. Maybe there's not like in previous years, there's not been a Texas or a Cal State Fullerton and LSU teams like that. Those like real huge name national powers, but there are some very good teams that have been on this schedule. So just pump the brakes a little bit, step back from the, step back from the ledge. Everything's okay. Now, you look at this Northern Colorado game, a couple of things stood out to me, Dan. Uh, Garrett King bounced back strong. Uh, did he give him six full shutout innings on uh, Tuesday? Uh, yes, and that was huge for him. Because they kind of need him to be a Saturday-Sunday guy, correct? They do. He's, uh, you know, I know that they were happy with what Derek Burkamper and Matt Waldron gave him last weekend. Both those guys will start again uh, this coming weekend. But Garrett King is the guy, I think, on this team that has the highest upside of probably any of their starting pitchers. So they really need him to just get it figured out mentally. And I think Tuesday was a, was a good step in the and, right direction. And then the other storyline, obviously, Scott Schreiber, three home Ooh. runs. Goes beast mode. And what was the wind like out there? Was it blowing out a little bit, or it would? I mean, yeah, it was blowing out, um, and that probably helped a couple of his home runs on Tuesday. The one that he hit on Wednesday, that thing might have gotten out of some major league parks. I mean, he cranked that. And crazy stat alert: Scott Schreiber, <laughs> in ten games this year, has five home runs. That's more than any Husker has had in a season since 2012. Wow. Yeah. So I think a lot of it, and Scott Schreiber has Check his bat. <laughs> yeah. He's got a lot of natural ability, but I also think it has a lot to do with Darren Ersad taking over that role um, of controlling the offense this year. Nebraska 
has played 11 games this season. They've already got 13 home runs compared to 22 home runs in 57 games last season. So I think that they're just being a lot more opportunistic when those opportunities to hit home runs come up. And you've seen the offense jump because of it. Now, the big weekend here, four games with Loyola Marymount. I understand Nebraska wasn't able to get a midweek game for next week. Mm. So Loyola Marymount's going to play four games here. Doubleheader Saturday. I mean, it's tough when you play those four-game series how to manage the pitching and, and what you do with Garrett King now this weekend. Um, this will be an interesting series to manage uh, for Darren Erstad and Ted Silva. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you just hope to have enough pitching. And I asked Darren after the game on Wednesday, you know, kind of what's the plan? And he laid out, you know, he, he said, okay, we're going to have Howell start Friday and then Burke Hamper and Waldron will start Saturday. And Sunday is just like, well, we'll kind of see who's left. Johnny <laughs> try, Holstaff. Yeah, and we'll just try and piece it together then because, you know, you really uh, you can't make any predictions right now with a four games uh, in three days. That That's very, very tough to manage. But like you said, they don't have a midweek, so they are going to be able to use some of those guys more. They won't have to worry about resting them for those midweek games. I mean, I don't know much about Loyola Marymount. I know they were a team RPI-wise they thought would be up there. That's why they scheduled this series, I believe, a year ago. And I think Silva really researches kind of who those teams will be and that they put them on the schedule. Um, is this a series where you think – a split's realistic. Could they get three out of four? I mean, what to you is kind of the barometer this weekend of how you see this home series playing out with Loyola Marymount? I, I think that this is one, certainly Nebraska should be hoping for at the least a split. Um, you know, you would hope for probably to win three games would be really nice considering it's a home series. Loyola Marymount, six and six so far this season. Um, they beat TCU. Uh, in their season opener, went one and two against the Horned Frogs overall. But um, it's a talented team. But it's you know it's it's like a lot of the teams that Nebraska's faced so far. They're a talented team. They could be on the bubble for you know going uh, to the NCAA tournament, but they're not a lock by any means. They're not a national power. So this is. Nebraska should go two and two at least. They could go three and one, I'd say. Now, Nebraska baseball, then they'll be off. Sunday will be the last game. Then they don't play again until Friday. That's really, that's why they have this four game series. They don't, they don't have a midweek series scheduled. But uh, what will they do next week? Because I, I don't remember a time where they haven't had a midweek game at this time of year um, to, to really kind of get some depth built up. It's very odd. I think it's just one of those scheduling quirks. But I think you're just going to see them have a lot of rest. You know, uh, counting these two games over um, the past couple days, I mean, anytime you're playing six games in five days, that's a lot uh, for for anyone, much less college kids. So I think that they might give them a little time off, certainly the pitchers, and just say, hey, guys, just take a day or two, relax, get your bearings, and we'll get you back out and here Friday. And then Wichita State will come back. Uh, spring break will begin that weekend, and Wichita State will be here for three. That'll be a fun series. Yeah, and your homework assignment, Dan, find out – why these two teams have not really played series in the past. Because I don't know if it, the, the legendary coach Gene Stevenson and Mike Sanders, the old coaches before, they might have been some blood there. But you would always have thought this would have been a natural series to always play. Mm -hmm. Nebraska, Wichita State, four hours away, two kind of Midwest blue blood programs. I don't know if you can say that about the Shockers anymore, but they were a perennial college world series yeah, team for very years successful. and years and years. So uh, I'll be really um, curious uh, kind of – the history of how that got scheduled and could we see Nebraska and Wichita State play more often uh, going forward I certainly hope so because like you said this is it's a fun series it's a natural series these are like you said two successful programs they have been for a long time they 
they have they both have great histories, but they haven't played a lot. So it, it's fun to get teams like that together. Hopefully, it's something that'll continue in the future. And it's typically that game has just been a midweek Tuesday uh-huh. or Wednesday one game thing. And and I, I believe last year they didn't even play. There was a year or two where they took off. So uh, I'm excited to see kind of how that plays out. And um, I, I don't know what type of team Wichita State has, but typically they all they're always in the contention to make the tournament in in some way or another. So uh, when we come back here on the show, Nebraska will have their junior day for football. Uh, Nate Klaus will come back in and join the program and and give a preview of what to look for this weekend. And Nebraska also picked up a linebacker commit as well. We'll get Nate's thoughts on the latest commit here for this 2017 recruiting class. That's next. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Final segment here of the Husker Online Show. It's our 52nd straight week of doing this. We've been around now for a year. So thanks again to all our loyal listeners uh, that have made this a very successful radio show slash podcast over the last year. But we close this show as we do every week with recruiting with our man, Nate Klaus. And Nate, this is a very interesting development that happened uh, middle of the week. Uh, Nebraska picks up their first verbal commitment for 2017 uh, from linebacker Willie Hampton out of Oak Bridge Academy in West Palm Beach, Florida. 6'2", 220, scored the number one Sparg score at the Nike events, which is their performance index testing marks. What can you tell me about this and how it all played out? Well, Willie Hampton picked up an offer from Nebraska about two weeks ago and has really kind of been an under-the-radar guy. He, he had a, a few uh, smaller offers from in-state schools, Florida Atlantic, uh, UCF, and uh, and then you had Western Michigan and Indiana um, in on him. And, and Nebraska did a great job of evaluating um, him and, and kind of identifying him as a, as a talent. They, they offered. He goes out to the Miami Nike Combine and measures in at 6'2", 220, rips off a 4'5", 3 electronic 40-yard dash, jumps nearly a 36-inch vertical, um, and, and you know posts the, the top overall spark score in the country for any linebacker. And, um, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere on Wednesday night, he, he commits to Nebraska after talking with uh, Trent Bray and, and Mike Riley. So, I mean, this is a, a pretty good find for Nebraska. I, I don't think that his recruitment is going to stop now. I, now he's not an under-the-radar guy. Uh, a lot of people know about him, but um, he's a kid that can run. He can do all sorts of things in terms of rushing the passer. Um, you know, he's good in, in coverage. Um, he's basically – he has safety speed um, in, in, uh, in a linebacker's body. So – uh, good pickup for Nebraska here. Yeah, you mentioned uh, that this is not over, mainly because he's not been to campus. We've got the recruiting spring evaluation period. Um, what is your gauge? I know Brian Munson, our own Brian Munson, is uh, who handled the story and broke the news uh, this week on the commitment. But, I mean, do you get the sense that he's going to visit some other places? Or, or what would you uh, kind of – how would you assess that right now? Well, right now he says he's solid and, and that he's, uh, you know, all in with Nebraska. He really likes – the, the relationship that he's established with the coaching staff really likes everything that Nebraska has to offer in terms of facilities and, and academics and whatnot. And is planning to visit in May. So 
I think that will be a crucial uh, point in his recruitment, obviously, getting him on campus. And, and, you know, if he's excited about Nebraska right now, which he obviously is, um, you know, he's going to be even more excited after he actually sees it in person. So I think that's big to, uh, for him to come up with his family, maybe even his coach in May. Uh, but yeah, there's no question he's going to continue to be, you know, getting offers and, and be recruited. Um, you know, he, he plays at a little bit smaller school, uh, about 10 miles down the road from where Alex Davis came out of uh, down in South Florida. So um, and once a spring evaluation period comes around, I guarantee you he's going to pick up more and more offers. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show as we close today's show on recruiting. And before we get to the junior day this weekend, Nate, let's talk about quarterback recruiting uh, because uh, another layer of the storyline developed this week. Uh, Tristan Jebbia visited Lincoln with his family for the very first time. Jebbia has been here a number of times, but the first time his parents have come. And then later in the week, you also broke the news that Jack Cohn now will be here at the end of next week. Uh, it originally was going to be the spring game. I mean, this is really kind of becoming a strategic battle between the Jebias and the Cones on maybe who will be that quarterback commit for Nebraska in 2017. It's pretty fascinating, to be honest with you. You, you have two top uh, 250, you know, type of quarterbacks kind of jockeying for position. Um, you know, and I don't, Nebraska hasn't said, hey, we're taking the first guy to commit, but it's, it's become, you know, clear that both these, both Tristan Jebby and Jack Cohn know about one another. They know that Nebraska is, is highly interested in, in both of them. Um, you know, and the fact that, that Jebby had moved his visit up, you know, really impacted Jack Cohn and, and forced him to move his visit up. So, um, you know, Cohn is visiting Syracuse and Wisconsin this week, and then will be making his way to Nebraska uh, next week. And, and, you know, the visit with Jebby went about as well as it could have. His parents, um, you know, really, really, really liked everything they saw, and especially enjoyed their time with Mike Riley. They hit it off with Mike Riley um, in in I guess got a much better understanding of why why Tristan is is so interested in Nebraska. You know, he'd been here a couple times before, but like you said, it's the first time they were here. You know, as a as a family, and and I think they really bought in with with the way Mike Riley is running the program and the direction that things are heading. And uh, and following the visit, I think they're number one. Uh, Ole Miss is is probably the biggest you know contender uh, out there for Nebraska to to deal with, and um, you know, and and because. Tristan is a legacy recruit there. His father, Rich, uh, played at Ole Miss, was a tight end there, and had a good career there. So, uh, But I, I do think that following this visit, things are clearing up, and he's going to be making a decision more than likely towards the end of the month, early April. And, uh, and that's going to be interesting to see what, what Jack Cohn does. Obviously, uh, Jack Cohn and his coach told me that their timeline is increased now, um, and, and they're going to be making a decision you know, following that Nebraska visit. So uh, it's going to be pretty interesting to see how things play out. I, I think – the the one one thing that we will know is that Nebraska will more than likely have a, a quarterback from a top ten quarterback in the country here in the next month. It's amazing that a guy like Jebbia will leave the West Coast. It just doesn't happen. But you look at what Josh Rosen has done to recruiting for quarterback at UCLA. You know he has two more years left there. So I think that scared away a lot of top level guys knowing their situation and. I just think USC is not the hot commodity in recruiting that they once were. And, man, this has opened the door for Nebraska to get some of these guys. And this weekend, Nate, uh, a lot of those guys will be here on campus. Keyshawn Johnson Jr., um, Darnay Holmes will be here, I believe, again as well. 
uh, give us a rundown uh, of just some of the guys to watch this weekend that will be at the Junior Day. Oh yeah, Keyshawn Johnson Jr., the the four star wide receiver out of California, is is kind of the headliner along with his teammate, five star cornerback Darnay Holmes. You know these these are two kids that have been to Nebraska multiple times. This will be the sixth visit for Keyshawn Johnson Jr. over the last year, the fifth visit for Darnay Holmes. Um, Nate, you know, is your mom and daddy going to visit you six times no. in a year in Lincoln? <laughs> no, they've been they've visited. You know they've flown halfway across the country to visit Lincoln more times than my parents. Uh, you know have visited me in probably the last five years so it's uh i mean this is impressive it speaks to their their uh you know their interest in nebraska i think a lot of people still kind of doubt whether or not you know you know if nebraska is a contender here they are absolutely a contender and and Keyshawn johnson jr is going to be committing at the end of the month he's already filmed his bleacher report video uh that'll be going public here and and i i really really do think that nebraska ends up landing a commitment from him that's you know all signs kind of point to that happening and once that happens I, I think you you automatically increase the chances of landing Tristan Jebbia landing Darnay Holmes and even some other high profile recruits from out on the west coast uh, two of which will also be on campus this weekend when you talk about four-star defensive end Hunter Eccles who's currently committed to UCLA but taking visits uh, and Jameer Calvin who is a wide receiver who um, is really just blown up over the last few weeks adding offers from the ACC the SEC Big 12 I mean pretty much every major conference out there he's he's added um, you know big offers from so uh, you're going to have a large contingent of west coast players on campus you're going to have uh, Austin Allen obviously from from Nebraska from Aurora the the, the big tight end that, that the Huskers have offered already will be on campus um, Allen Ali and uh, Mark Kallenberger are two offensive tackles that'll be in in, in town. Um, I think you know obviously that's a position of that Nebraska needs to recruit well this cycle. Uh, and those are two guys that are highly interested in Nebraska, especially Ali, who comes from Texas. Um, I think his interest level in the Huskers is, is extremely high right now. So, and then you've got Javon McQuitty. Uh, the the four star wide receiver out of uh, you know Columbia Missouri who uh, Nebraska was the first to offer him last year at the spring game and he's developed a really strong relationship with Keyshawn Johnson Jr. Darnay Holmes and and he'll be coming up with some friends of his from Missouri so uh, a lot of interesting storylines to kind of follow with this Junior Day there's going to be a ton of talent on campus I could spend all day talking about all the players that are going to be here but um, those are kind of the headliners at this point all right I'm gonna be that guy on the Tuesday they RSS chat that you don't like, uh, but I'm going to say, uh, do you expect any commits to come out of the weekend, Nate Klaus? You know, I wouldn't be surprised. I'm, I'm not going to say no, I don't expect it. Um, I, I won't be surprised either way if they get one or if they don't get one. Um, obviously, I think a guy like Austin Allen is somebody you could point to and say, hey, there's a chance that he could pull the trigger being an in-state guy. You know, he's already taken a couple of visits to, to uh, places like Iowa State that, that he has offers from. So um, he could be a guy that pulls the trigger. Um, but, uh, you know, I don't know. It, it's hard to say for sure uh, exactly what's going to happen this weekend, but I, I like the fact that anytime you can get a large number of, of kids on campus together that all have offers um, and and you know are able to kind of bond and create friendships, I, I think that is a good thing for Nebraska. And Mike Riley has talked about it time and time again. 
they want to get these guys on campus, um, you know, uh, several times. And is the, the more often they get here, the better. And, uh, and a lot of these guys are making return trips. All right, Nate, but before we wrap it up, if you're a subscriber or someone that likes to follow this stuff, give us an idea maybe what time you, you would be a good time to be on the site. It would be Saturday night or Sunday. I mean, when do you think the – potential stuff could really come out of this uh, on junior day well I, I, the the players obviously will be attending practice on saturday uh, and then they'll have a few more activities saturday um, afternoon so so really i mean we're going to get kicked off and really start pumping out a lot of content uh saturday night we're going to be speaking with a lot of these players that are on campus and then uh, a lot of them will be leaving uh sunday you know the the visits will kind of bleed into sunday so saturday evening and then uh sunday afternoon are going to be really Really busy at Husker Online. All right. I'm looking forward to it. It should be an exciting weekend with practice, baseball, and then uh, a big junior day here uh, for Nebraska. Well, that puts a wrap here to another edition of the Husker Online Show. Thanks again for joining us this week on HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. 